Welcome to Committing Faith in Public. This is the podcast for people who want to be inspired by individuals and communities of faith doing good work in public. Our guests tell stories of their work of weaving a more just, kind, and diversity-inclusive society. Our starting place for stories is Oklahoma because that is where we live and because many people, both in Oklahoma and beyond, are surprised when they learn that interreligious friendly, pro-democracy, diversity welcoming, public good oriented religion even exists in Oklahoma. So through this podcast, we're spreading good news and encouraging you in your faith and public life work. I'm Gary Peluso Verden, President Emeritus at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and working on the Religion and Public Life Initiative for the seminary. Welcome, everyone, and I'm, I'm here today, not actually here, I am here in my home, and uh, Toby Jenkins, are you at home or at you, are you at the office today? I am at the house. At the house. Talking with Toby Jenkins, who's the executive director of the Oklahoma Equality Center, and kind of a full disclosure, and a fellow churchgoer at Boston Avenue United Methodist with me. Welcome, Toby, and so glad that in the midst of everything else going on, you can take a little time and, and chat with me on uh, committing faith in public. Thank you. Good. I'm excited for any human interaction. <laughs> That's great. Me too. <laughs> me too. Uh, and expanding beyond one's own immediate household is sometimes also pleasant. First, uh, tell our listeners who, who may or may not be familiar, uh, what is the Oklahoma Equality Center? It's actually called Oklahomans for Equality, and Oklahomans for Equality is uh, the oldest and largest LGBTQ rights organization in about 40 states. We're celebrating our 40th anniversary. We were founded in the 1970s by a young attorney by the name of Dennis Neal mm -hmm. and his uh, collaborative friends who felt like that if they did not uh, organize and begin to advocate uh, for lesbian, gay, bisexual transgender and queer individuals that uh, they would never see situations improve their state, their home state of Oklahoma. The name of the organization is Oklahomans for Equality. And we have uh, right now about 11 active chapters across uh, the state of Oklahoma mm -hmm. and about another 21 that are either in development or we have strong relationships with folks who are wanting to organize in their communities. Hmm. Uh, and then our headquarters uh, is the Dennis Arnelli Quality Center, which is obviously named off after our founder. But it's also where we provide direct services, programs, activities, and uh, do outreach at the uh, downtown Tulsa. And we've been at that location for 15 years. Prior to that, we had about a decade of other community center locations where the landlords would make us move um, because uh, the neighbors complained mm -hmm. that we were being vandalized or harassed. And so we finally just spent several years raising money to buy our own building. Thought that would be the difficult part. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but once we had the money to purchase a building, um, no bank in Tulsa at that time would loan us money. Wow. And when was that? 15 years, you say? Uh, that, that would have been uh, in the late 90s and the early 2000s. Not at all long ago. <clears throat> and um, we thought the difficult part would be raising the money, mm-hmm. and then we would identify a property. And because our programs are so extensive, we have medical service programs, counseling programs, lots of social programs. We needed the building to be accessible uh, to people with disabilities. We needed it to be close to a bus route. You know, we had mm-hmm. lots of uh, specific needs that our community had told us that they were, were requiring. Mm-hmm. And so that meant we had to go meet with the Board of Adjustment to get approval to purchase the properties. 50 times we were turned down Wow. on um, properties wow. that, that the neighbors would not let us purchase the property. Wow. They were dead set against us being in their neighborhood. They didn't want an LGBT center. They called it a sex shop or, it, you know, it defied God's mm-hmm. principles. Mm-hmm. It would bring judgment on the city of Tulsa. And um, so finally we identified the property which is an old torpedo factory in downtown Tulsa. Mm-hmm. We purchased that building. Nobody cared. Nobody showed up at the Board of Adjustment meeting. It was downtown <laughs> Tulsa. You know, it was an urban decay, mm-hmm. empty warehouse districts. Uh, it had downtown. It just turned into old abandoned warehouse districts. And after 5 o'clock on most Fridays, everything pretty well cleared out. Mm-hmm. And so... Nobody cared that we were wanting to purchase a property in downtown Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Living Art was kind of the only thing that was in the neighborhood, and they were fine with us being there because mm-hmm. um, they valued relationships with creative class. So mm-hmm. we've been in downtown Tulsa all these, uh, which is not too long, just uh, you know, since 2005. Purchased yeah. the building October 31st, 2005, and it was pretty emotional day. First time we'd ever been allowed to raise a rainbow flag on top of our own building, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. as our previous landlords would not let us do that. Mm-hmm. So the Dennis Arnell Equality Center is actually uh, the headquarters of Oklahomans for Equality, and it is the, one of the programs of Oklahomans for Equality. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I really appreciate that clarification. Something I should have known, since, uh, as you know, I've been a I've been a friend of the center for quite some years now, so I will try to get the center and and Oklahomans for Equality correct in the the way I talk about them, too. How long have you been uh, executive director? I've been uh, the paid executive director uh, going on 12 years. Um, August was starting my 12th year. And then prior to that, I was the board president. We didn't have an executive director. okay. I was like the interim executive director for two years prior to that. Mm-hmm. I've been involved with the organization ever since I came out back in the 90s. And uh, um, my first involvement with them was uh, needing to – I had just recently come out, and Oklahoma legislators had a bill that would have stopped you from – Mm-hmm. gay people from having custody of their mm-hmm. children. I was mm-hmm. in the middle of a divorce, and mm-hmm. so I reached out to them. I was familiar with them. I'd known about them for years, and so I reached out to them, called the phone number that they've had forever, and um, got involved then. And uh, they were kind of suspect of me because I came from a very 
conservative Mm -hmm. religious background, Mm -hmm. a very conservative political background. Mm -hmm. I'd been in county government. Only thing they trusted me to do was to pick up trash and clean up, clean the porta potties at Pride. Mm -hmm. And I was just Mm -hmm. tickled to death to be around people like me. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt like I was suited just perfect and i made sure those porta potties and those that that park every time we had our pride festival that was spotless Hmm. and it's interesting because our the founder of our organization who was a very successful businessman Mm -hmm. very respected community leader Mm -hmm. it is still pretty common to find dennis neal um picking up trash in the alley Hmm. cleaning toilets Hmm. um scrubbing walls um so he set a good example for me to follow he sure did. Now, you, you alluded to uh, coming from a conservative religious background. For the people who don't know, say a little, if you would, about your time as a Southern Baptist pastor. I was not a Southern Baptist no, you weren't, pastor. You were, were you Pentecostal? No. <laughs> I was a free will Baptist. Oh, free will Baptist. Oh, yes. I'm an Armenian in theology. Hey, good. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it does. Which is yeah. like we Wesleyans, yeah. Armenians. Okay, good. Yeah. Yes, I was a free will Baptist okay. minister. Now I grew up. I grew up in the Methodist Church. Uh, I forgot. My family that. very active in that. Grew up in that, and then I uh, did not want to go to school at OU. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family had ties to OU, and so I needed to get out of town. Wanted to go away, and so I went to Belmont University in Nashville, Tennessee, uh-huh. and eventually um, connected with Free Will Baptist and who told me I could pray the gay away and because I had talked to people there about my uh, struggles with my same-sex attraction and they told me if I just served Jesus more those feelings would go away. Uh, My parents knew that I had those, knew that I, you know, they knew they had a gay son. They were very understanding and trying to help me accept it myself Hmm. and try to protect me Hmm. and i just wasn't having it i Hmm. could not see any example of that of positive in my culture Mm -hmm. and certainly on a normal basis didn't hear anything affirmed from the pulpit in those days and so i gravitated towards super conservative theology uh, as a you know grabbing for some kind of straw and I, you know, I, I say it was like being in the middle of the ocean and not having any fresh water. You know, you'll start mm-hmm. drinking salt water mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. because you, you think it's going to quench your thirst, mm-hmm. but it actually dehydrates your body and will kill you. And that's what that was like, that uh, conservative grasp, that, you know, fundamentalist theology appealed to my fear, my anxiety over my sexuality and I was grabbing for anything that could, what I thought um, would save, save my soul and save my life. I didn't want to be gay. I, didn't, um, I wasn't comfortable with it. I wasn't comfortable with my own uh, identity and my own expression. I just wanted to be different, and I did not want to have to live like that for what I saw around me. So I grabbed that and became... Uh, uh, Free Will Baptist minister, hmm. and it was right at the time of uh, the religious right taking over the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents had been very, very uh, close friends to Jimmy Carter, and hmm. believed very strongly in 
uh, progressive, um, democratic causes. When I changed from Democrat to Republican, my mother wouldn't speak to me for three months <laughs> because um, she would just cry and look at me mm-hmm. and say, you know, Republicans don't love poor people, Toby. Mm. Republicans don't love poor people. And um, that was her fear, you know, 40 years ago. Mm-hmm. And so I became free will Baptist minister, and I did that for uh, 12 years. And uh, the whole time, I was, uh, I mean, when I married, uh, I told uh, my fiance, I told the girl I was dating shortly, and I don't know how much we want to get into the details of this because it can be pretty graphic, but um, I did let her know that I. Uh, struggle with same-sex attraction. She believed our church. I believed my church. She felt like if I was going to try to be heterosexual, that um, <clears throat> you know she she could go mm-hmm. along with that. Mm-hmm. And uh, the whole time I was in the ministry, uh, every month I would travel. Sometimes be a three-hour drive. I would drive to another large urban city where I had identified a Christian therapist mm-hmm. and. Uh, would meet with those Christian therapists trying to fix myself and trying to address what I considered was some kind of, you know, emotional mental health uh, flaw and mm-hmm. did that for 12 years. And the whole time I was, bu- I was building a very large evangelical um, fundamentalist churches, mm-hmm. very involved in college ministry. I was slated to take over for Bill Bright. Really? Campus Crusade, yeah. as I was at the University of Missouri and huh. uh, had one of the largest campus ministries in the country. And so um, I uh, worked on John Ashcroft's campaign to be uh, governor for the huh. state of Missouri. Okay. Um, he and his wife went to my church. So, you know, I was right there, a part of uh, conservative uh, Christianity, taking over the Republican Party and mixing of politics and faith mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um so that was wow and then during all of that time you know mm-hmm. i was being recognized for building large churches and you know our churches were integrated our churches were full of young people uh we were a part of the um movement of um you know moving towards contemporary christian music and sale church programs, you know, where we had little house churches all over mm-hmm. the place, and mm-hmm. we were uh, doing all of that, and which meant, you know, I was at all these conferences and being recognized for that, and was very involved in March for Jesus around the world, was very involved in an organizer for the National Prayer Breakfast. Really? Uh, oh, I didn't uh, know that. <laughs> was a part of the original group that became the promise keepers yes. Um, yes. so I was you know I was right there and in the middle of all of that and of course in the middle of that we had the AIDS crisis and I helped write the curriculum on how evangelical churches were supposed to care for those with AIDS and um, it was uh, um, a different world I, I don't have any um, I'm not ashamed or regret Mm -hmm. the things that I was involved in helping Mm -hmm. folk. What I do regret is that it had a personal cost to me 
and my family mm-hmm. um, as we perpetuated and allowed uh, others to participate in what were, were a very exclusionary, unchristian, um, uncompassionate responses to the needs of LGBTQ persons. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. um, when I came out, stepped down from my ministry, uh, because I was so well known, I immediately became like a, you know, a, a conference speaker for evangelical conferences, evangelical churches, hmm. on what we had to do to save the homosexual. Hmm. Um, so that was my involvement. I was, you know, eventually was at First Methodist Church with, under Dr. Buskirk and. Hmm. Mm-hmm. They used to get so frustrated with me because anytime they'd ask me to share my story or, you know, be a part of the confessing church movement, Mm -hmm. I would uh, just use phrases like, I am a Christian who struggles with same-sex attraction. They would tell me I need to get up and say, Dr. Buzzcork would tell me I need to get up and say, I'm a delivered, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm delivered Mm -hmm. from this. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we eventually came back. Uh, to Tulsa because that's where my wife's family was from and um, came back to be a part of Grace Fellowships, their ex-gay program, which was, uh, we were maybe involved in that for about eight weeks and immediately were very uh, suspicious of Mm. what we considered uh, a lack of integrity and Mm. a lack of transparency and a lack of... uh, reality and uh that we ended up at first methodist i came from a methodist church grew up in that background and um so we were there when um dr lance i think that was his name he had written a book called 51 percent principle where he was trying to do work with uh, homosexual persons trying to help them overcome their what they perceived as sexual addictions Uh, and broke and their brokenness. I can remember Dr. Buzz Kirk saying in the pulpit all the time when he would be railing about the Methodist Church debating over whether to allow LGBTQ persons into the clergy. Mm-hmm. He would say, "You don't make the person. You don't make the patient who's sick the doctor in the in- intensive care unit." Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would just get so offended at that, uh-huh. and I would have an argument with him over it that I talked to him about how degrading that was. That um, So that was uh, my previous background. Yeah, yeah. And in some ways parallel to that, a lot of us religious people would acknowledge that the relationship between sexuality and religion is often a complicated one. Uh, and in Oklahoma, uh, with the predominance of fundamentalist, evangelical, and Pentecostal Protestants uh, as the dominant expression, uh, those are the expressions that have had the most difficulty uh, accepting the, the normativity, the normalness, the God-createdness of LGBTQ persons. And I know from previous conversations with you that there are a lot of members of your communities who really struggle with religion or have just outright rejected organized religion outright. Um, could you comment a little bit on the difficult relationship that your your communities often have uh, with re- organized religion? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's no mystery that lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer persons have experienced 
lots of pain and rejection and you know even violence and death mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at the hands of um, religious uh, fundamentalism and it doesn't necessarily uh, it's not just uh, it's not just uh, Christians right <laughs> Okay. You know, yes. they've experienced this from uh, Orthodox uh, Judaism. They experience it from radical Islam. And it, even, you know, everybody wants to think Buddhists are going to break it along, right. but there right. are some segments of Buddhism that have been very oppressive uh, to people who identify as LGBTQ. Mm-hmm. So that's not a secret to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, what is, uh, what people may not understand is it not only uh, makes you know the attack is on you personally but your family and how your family responds mm-hmm. uh, to your to your sin and mm-hmm. so that's where most LGBTQ persons I mean occasionally I'll run across somebody who's maybe been spared some of what we call religious trauma or uh, religious damage mm-hmm. Um Occasionally, you'll run across individuals, but most everybody has had some negative impact or in experience from uh, faith and how it interacted in their family. Mm-hmm. Even in some of the most progressive mm-hmm. families, mm-hmm. there will be, you know, their parents will say, "Please don't tell our elderly grandmother," mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and you know. They they'll have certain people that they try to keep it a secret from, mm-hmm. and um, that's because uh, of that person's uh, deeply held religious positions mm-hmm. on certain mm-hmm. things like that. Mm-hmm. And I and I doubt there's ever been an LGBTQ person who's not had at least one well-meaning um, religious person who tried to tell them that um, they either aren't trying hard enough or that mm-hmm. if they continue to live that way or love that way uh, that they're they're going to be punished eternally or they're never going to be happy mm-hmm. or it's going to lead to all sorts of horrible things in their lives and that if they'll just uh, do certain things if you'll you'll just uh, uh, deny who you are um, refuse to allow yourself to have any kind of intimacy or tenderness or companionship in your personal life, then you can eventually overcome this and uh, reject these things. And you can be normal like everybody else. You can be normal and happy like everybody else. Mm -hmm. And I doubt there's ever been any person who identifies as LGBTQ who's who's not been exposed to that kind of uh, hardcore, mm-hmm. hard sell, full core press mm-hmm. of, you know, you can change because there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And um, if you just take these steps, uh, this is your path to deliverance. Yeah. It's usually at the base of most all um, um, any kind of uh, desire to strip LGBTQ people of equal rights or to pass discriminatory laws, you rarely have those bills being introduced or those ordinances being introduced that you don't have some uh, elected official who quotes the Bible as the motivation for doing what they do. And we have extensive experience with that in Oklahoma. 
BS. We, we, we it happens all the time. It happened this session. Yes, <laughs> you know, right. we were we were dealing with, and we're session still not over. So we may have it drop on us like it has another state. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll quote the Bible or quote some kind of uh, religious text as justification of why they need to codify uh, some kind of law, ordinance, or statute to uh, punish us. I mean, right now, while you and I are having this conversation, we're waiting on the Supreme Court's decision over um, workplace uh, workplace protections mm-hmm. and um, employment security for LGBTQ persons in the workplace. Mm-hmm. And um, we will be, whatever happens, whether it goes in our favor or it goes against us, uh, there will be a pushback immediately across the country um, where religious conservative people in state houses and courthouses and city halls uh, will try to um, push back against whatever the Supreme Court decides that might positively uh, guarantee workplace protections for LGBTQ persons. We saw this happen with marriage equality. Um, mm-hmm. The state of Oklahoma mm-hmm. introduced 32 bills uh, mm-hmm. the year after marriage mm-hmm. equality. Um, as uh, you know, we've got to this approach that we've got to stop it. We've got to stop it. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop it. Mm-hmm. Still to this day, it's popular in some legislative circles to brag that you're going to restrict um, marriage equality. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, it's popular in some circles. Um, and at the same time, are, have there also been uh, interactions you've had with religious leaders that you've been pleasantly surprised at? And that's in addition to the the uh, progressive religious leaders around town. Um, I have I, I can tell you that um, there are many in the city of Tulsa who still um, are in religious faith communities and positions of power and positions of authority and influence who secretly are do not uh, believe, accept, mm-hmm. or um, uh, 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 support their particular religious institution's positions on this. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a secret society <laughs> of mm-hmm. religious leaders in the city mm-hmm who are in uh, very, very powerful positions. Mm-hmm. And they secretly um, believe that their religious institution has it dead wrong. It's not compatible with uh, mm-hmm. sacred texts. It's mm-hmm. not compatible with the spirit of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not compatible with um, humanity and compassion and the mm-hmm. things we're called to. Mm-hmm. But they're stuck in positions where uh, they have to continue to um, stay in their denominations or stay in their pulpits or stay in their religious communities. Um, but you won't necessarily see those individuals um, preaching mm-hmm. the dogma or propaganda. Mm-hmm. But they also uh, continue to stay in those communities. And, um, you know, maybe they feel like they're trying to influence them mm-hmm. and change them by their positions or their approaches. Um, so I, I, I could tell you that uh, it, if I die, <laughs> uh, I will have to die with that secret, <laughs> those mm-hmm. secrets. Right, right. Because I've had multiple, multiple 
uh, prominent clergy persons in the city who have met with me privately hmm. um, to tell me um, in their particular ministry they're not going to be a part of exclusionary um, uh, violent attacks on the mm -hmm. LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. even though uh, the name on their church mm -hmm. or their religious institution, uh, their official position is. Then you have the second, what I call the second level. You have individuals who are in institutions that have policies and church polity that uh, uh, will not allow them to bless same-sex unions or will not allow LGBTQ persons to seek uh, licensing ordination. Mm -hmm. Then you have, the, you have the level of those clergy persons who are actually renegades within their own religious mm -hmm. movements where mm -hmm. they have made their position clear on what they believe and they're uh, addressed, you know, they're dealing with the tension in their own their own mm -hmm. private congregations. Mm -hmm. Maybe their whole congregation is not 100% on board and they're having to work through that, but yet they've said, you know, this is my position, this is what I believe. Mm -hmm. And then the next level, I would say, is there are those same individuals who are almost renegades in their own religious movements and they've led their whole congregation to take the official position mm -hmm. that we're going to welcome LGBTQ people and they're going to do it in defiance mm -hmm. of their mm -hmm. denomination or their religious institutions. And then finally you get down to what I call the fourth level are individuals who are religious leaders who are either a part of religious institutions um, that have made the decision to be places of inclusion oh. and welcome and affirm LGBTQ persons. Mm -hmm. And their religious communities are known for their uh, progressive, compassionate way. And they are also advocates and strong, mm -hmm. militant mm -hmm. voices about uh, this is wrong, what's being done by other religious communities. And they call it out and they denounce it and they're prophetic. And they've done this enough that they've been able to influence their entire religious movement. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, we have mm -hmm. four levels of what mm -hmm. I consider allies mm -hmm. or, you know, voices in the wilderness for mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. trying out to prepare the way of the Lord. Mm -hmm. And then, in even if you drop that into in every congregation, a uh, faith community, we have an element of, of people who sit in the pew mm -hmm. who see this different than what their own churches, and they're mm -hmm. safe individuals within that. I get um, um, occasionally challenged uh, by people who um, um, feel like it's dangerous uh, for the Equality Center to list some congregations because some of those mm -hmm. congregations may not have taken the official step mm -hmm. to be inclusive official. Mm -hmm. And uh, my position is, as long as they're not hearing from the pulpit, um, as long as they're not hearing from the pulpit that they're broken and disordered and sin sinful and need to repent, that, you know, if they're hearing from the pulpit that all persons are of incredible worth to you, to, to the Lord, and that they're loved and valued, um, to me, that that place can be um, a welcoming congregation. Mm -hmm. I've had individuals say, well, if you 
if you allow them to, you know, first of all, we don't even acknowledge or recognize religious communities unless the senior leadership has officially sent us some kind of documentation mm-hmm. requesting mm-hmm. that they be listed on our faith page. Mm-hmm. And our faith page on our website for Oklahomans for Equality, it designates, you know, some of these congregations, they can't do same-sex weddings uh, or they can't ordain LGBTQ mm-hmm. persons, mm-hmm. Uh, but they are still uh, welcoming um, inclusive uh, fan, uh, churches. And so I've had individuals say, well, you're sending them to churches where they're still not working that out. If mm-hmm. they've not taken mm-hmm. the official step, followed the official process, they're going to have horrible things said to them. And um, this is what I would say to that. I've been going to church my entire life. Mm-hmm. I've been going to church my entire life. Mm-hmm. I have never been in any church that I didn't have somebody say something hurtful and harmful to me. Mm-hmm regardless of who I am and who I love or whatever. You know, I've been, I was a part of the Metropolitan Community Church, which was Mm -hmm. an LGBT Mm -hmm. organization Mm -hmm. church that was Mm -hmm. started by LGBT persons. Mm -hmm. I was a part of St. Jerome's Parish, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. which was a breakaway from the Episcopal Church and had a Catholic, you know, had a, Mm -hmm. had a, an openly uh, gay clergy person. Mm -hmm. And uh, some of the things that were said to me in those congregations made some of the other stuff that was said to me in uh, places where I was, my presence was resented uh, make it look like um, uh, a walk in the park. And so I, I just refuse to limit our ability to be able to find, help people find help. And mm-hmm. so we're still, you know, I, I rarely have a week that I don't. I've had two this week because I guess COVID has given plenty of time to, for clergy persons to be contemplative because mm-hmm. they can't hold, mm-hmm. can't hold services. Mm-hmm. But I've had two congregations reach out to me this week mm-hmm. um, where they wanted me to know that um, if if an LGBTQ person needed anything, that they would be happy to mm-hmm. um, bring them communion or they would be mm-hmm. happy to come mm-hmm. and pray with them mm-hmm. during this time of anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always like to take the opportunity to say this it is very common for us to have interns who are students from faith-based universities in the region Mm -hmm. um, as interns at our at the center we usually have in the course of a semester we'll have uh, between 18 to sometimes as many as 30 interns from universities i had no idea uh, either Yeah, they're either social work interns or they're mental Mm -hmm. health provider, Mm -hmm. you know, mental health interns or even going to be doctors Mm or uh, school teachers, and they'll do their internship for us. I mean, we have it all up and down the level. We have TCC students and Delta Technology nursing students who do internships with us, and we never have a semester that we don't have at least two to three or four students who are from faith-based universities. We had two students this semester from Oral Roberts University, and this would be Mm -hmm. the sixth semester that Mm -hmm. we've had Mm -hmm. Oral Roberts University students. We sat down down and made sure they clearly understood Mm -hmm. our Mm -hmm. position, where we're Mm -hmm. at, and um, I will tell you, our faith-based 
university interns, student university interns, are usually some of our most dependable. (laughs) Maybe a part of the programs they're involved. Mm -hmm. You have to show up and do the work and uh, follow through. And I've also noticed that they have a heart to serve. Mm -hmm. So if I need them to clean out trash cans, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. they'll do that. And they'll act like it's just as important as um, doing uh, something that looks more official. Mm-hmm. I took Christian University students uh, with us to the Capitol to witness the interactions when mm-hmm. we take high school mm-hmm. students to the legislature, mm-hmm. and they were just absolutely heartbroken and appalled mm-hmm. and almost turned into um, – protector shields hmm. that when these legislators hmm. would start going after these high school students they would just whip out their bible and start debating them and they they said they were just horrified at how elected officials would treat especially our lgbtq youth when we had taken them to the hmm. capital to advocate hmm. uh, uh, and just you know stand up against oppressive bills that were trying to be being hmm. pushed through the segment hmm. wow Toby, we're out of time, and I want to say I always enjoy talking to you. I so admire the work you're doing, and I'm so glad you're doing that work. And thanks so much, especially in this sort of very unusual time. At least we hope it's unusual that we're living through right now uh, to take some time with me and, and be on Committing Faith in Public, which I think regardless of whether you identify with your with your former clergy self or not you you're doing this this seems like a ministry to you and i i so appreciate what you're doing well gary i'll tell you this week during this time of covid i've had five deaths Mm. uh, not covid deaths Mm -hmm. we've had five persons Mm -hmm. who died Uh, they've either you know they died or uh, had a death that I had to go and see them in masks and gloves to try to provide Mm. comfort to their families. Mm. We've had a bunch of people who've been hospitalized. Obviously, I can't go to the hospital Mm -hmm. to see them, Mm -hmm. but I've had to call them and talk to them while they're in the hospital or while they're really sick. And so uh, I, you know, I'm, for some people, I'm going to be the closest they're Mm going to get to Mm -hmm. any kind of Mm -hmm. clergy support. Right. uh, Because, they're willing to trust me. And and lots of times I'll say to them, can I, is, would you like for me to have a word of prayer? I always ask permission. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. many times they say, oh, now I'd rather not. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not a, mm-hmm. I'm not a believer. And mm-hmm. I said, okay. And then they'll say things, but you know what, if you can uh, read a poem, that would, mm-hmm. and so I've got mm-hmm. a few poems that I use mm-hmm. to comfort them. Mm-hmm. So I tell people I've learned to pray the best, agnostic, mm-hmm. atheist, <laughs> secular prayer that can be prayed yeah, so that yeah. I don't you know, insult them, but I want to provide comfort yeah. for them. So thank you so much for letting us uh, talk. Same. Uh, you take care and thanks. Bye. This has been Committing Faith in Public, a podcast from the Religion and Public Life Initiative at Phillips Theological Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Copyright PTS and Gary Peluso Verdend. The views and opinions expressed during the podcast are those of the individuals and do not necessarily reflect an official position of Phillips Theological Seminary.